And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. It's, of course, the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Brent Clanton driving our Link Challenge bus this morning. As uh, we get we get November really kind of rolling along here. What's up this morning? You're, you're over there chuckling. I'm highly amused and entertained. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so uh, midterms now almost behind us, I should say. We can't really say they're behind us. Voting is over, so we've done that part. Now it's all about the count and what's going to happen from that. So over the course of the day, we'll find out, of course, uh, what happens with the control of the House, the Senate, and what the outcomes for that, of course, is important for markets because as we've talked about over the last couple of days, you know, this uh, the midterm elections and really kind of the control of the Senate versus the House and, and the White House, gridlock works out very well for stocks. They like that because again, they don't have to expect, you know, any major changes, right? It's just kind of a lame duck situation and nothing happens until the next election. That's, that typically tends to be good for stocks, stocks like that. Stocks have been actually rallying the last couple of days. Now, if we go back to just last week, it's been a very volatile week or so. I mean, you go back to last Wednesday, the FOMC comes out. Jerome Powell makes a much more hawkish statement than expected. Stocks collapse uh, back down towards the 20-day moving average. Did wind up holding that support and then rallied here over the last three days, uh, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, um, in anticipation of the midterm elections. Now, once this is now behind us, the question is kind of where do we go from here? So the good news in the short term is that markets are still kind of holding this little uptrend that we started building back in October. It's been a really kind of a sloppy run. Unfortunately, markets have come up here. Yes, we've had some, some nice trading days, but unfortunately it hasn't been a really strong advance. Uh, it's been kind of a real lackluster advance. Not a lot of commitment up to this point, at least anyway. Um, a, a lot of the overbought, uh, oversold condition we had, we worked a lot of that off, unfortunately. And the MACD signal, which is that kind of that primary buy signal indicator that we watch to determine, you know, when to increase or reduce exposure in, in, in uh, portfolios, that's really started to kind of peter out here as well. So again, it hasn't been a real commitment uh, of traders to the markets as we start to go into the end of the year. Now, having said that, there are still a couple of reasons to be optimistic uh, here over the next month and a half as we go into the end of the year. Uh, the reason, first of all, uh, just historically midterm elections, whether or not you're in a recession, whether or not it's who controls what, stocks tend to perform better following the midterm election going into the end of the year. So stocks typically get a little bit of a rally from here. That would also be supported potentially by better, you know, these uh, stock buybacks. Again, we have a very large number of stock buybacks that need to be completed. So there's about $5 billion a day that's been coming into the markets. And that's why we've kind of seen the markets behaving a little bit better uh, really since the end of October as that window opened back up. Uh, we started seeing stocks perform a little, just, a, just a, a bit better here. And that's because of some of those stock buybacks coming in. Now, we're about to have Thanksgiving, my favorite time of the year, right? Lots of food, stuffing, more food, sleep, more food, right? I mean, Thanksgiving is, is the holiday. 
Doesn't get enough decorations though. I mean, you know, really, honestly, you go to think, you know, you go to Target, right? They, they, you know, they do everything for Halloween. Yeah. And then it's Christmas. I mean, right. Thanksgiving really gets the shaft at retailers, but it should be a very celebrated holiday because that's my one day diet goes right, right out the window. <laughs> so. Walmart already has Christmas music blaring I, on the in house. Trust me, system. I know. It's everywhere you go. Just nauseating. Yeah. So, but my wife still decorates for Thanksgiving. Yes. So we have mm-hmm. Thanksgiving turkeys out in front of our house. So that's, she, the, we're the only people in the neighborhood. Everybody else has already got Christmas lights up. We have Thanksgiving turkeys. So, what are the chances of her being caught on your ring camera chasing a turkey down the road? That's good. Well, you know, she's already been caught, you know, chasing the dragon. Yes. That was, that was a year or so ago. Dragons but, are uh, real. Yeah. But if we have a good, if we have, a, trust me, if we have a really good windstorm come mm-hmm. through, there's going to be turkeys flying down the street. <laughs> So that's definitely for sure. Untethered. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so Thanksgiving's coming up. Post Thanksgiving, of course, we get into the end of the year. So now, so what's going to happen is over the next week or so, volume is going to lighten up in the market simply because traders and everybody's going to be leaving for Thanksgiving break, right? And then coming back from Thanksgiving, stocks tend to perform a little bit better going into the first week of December. Now, as we get into the first two weeks of December, we typically get a little bit of a sell-off in the market. So that's where mutual funds and uh, other types of, of fund managers are making distributions for the year, particularly in the, fund, uh, the mutual fund space. They need to distribute out capital gains, dividends, those type of things. So anything that they have that they've, and unfortunately this year might be a little bit lighter because markets are down. A lot of funds are at losses, so they don't have capital gains to distribute, maybe. Um, but again, we'll see what happens. But typically in the first two weeks of December, you typically get a little bit of sloppiness as mutual funds go through that distribution period. And then the last two weeks of December, they've got to put all of those exposures back on their books and make sure they're balanced. Now, a lot of these mutual funds, hedge funds, pension funds, et cetera, are carrying a lot of cash going into the year end. So when they issue out their quarterly report, their end of year reports, they don't want to show they've got a ton of cash. And, 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 and they're being charged, <laughs> investors are being charged for holding cash. They don't, want the, they don't want to see that. So again, the last two weeks of December typically see a little bit of a rally in the markets as that money gets put into positions going into the new year. So again, might very well see this market kind of continue to rally here through end of year, but it's going to be probably sloppy. So again, just not much different than what we've seen as of late. But there is potential here as this market did come above yesterday, did cross above the 50-day moving average. Now, this morning, futures are looking to open a little bit weaker this morning. Disney reported uh, basically earnings yesterday, missed earnings, and, and starting to talk about streaming struggles, right? Already, Disney Plus hasn't been around that long. Already starting to talk about potential risk to the streaming business. And again, this is not surprising. We've seen it with Netflix. Too much competition in the streaming space, right? Just not, you know, this is this has always been the concern. We've talked about this for the last couple of years with these streaming services. Hey, we're going to cut the cord. We're all going to start streaming everything. The problem is lack of content. You simply cannot produce enough quality content to fill all these streaming services. And as a result, people are just kind of tuning out because again it's there's there's not anything there of quality to watch of course the whole wokeness hasn't helped with creating quality content either um but that's a different story for a different show but nonetheless uh that's the disney big dow component that's going to weigh on the markets this morning here at the open 
But again, as we kind of talk about here, you know, the 50-day the moving average, that was an important resistance. We got above that yesterday. We need to hold that today. And we're very close here to a bullish buy signal of the 20-day moving average crossing above the 50-day. So if that occurs, uh, that could also help provide some support to markets here through the end of the year. So there's some reasons to be optimistic. Uh, for a market rally through the end of this year. Use that to raise a little bit of cash, rebalance your portfolio going into end of year, reduce some risk here. Again, our, our big concern continues to remain the first half of next year as all these rate hikes from the Federal Reserve really impact the economy. We see a contraction in corporate margins and earnings. In fact, I'm gonna be writing a, a piece on that here shortly. But the real risk, I think, going into 2023 is going to be the onset of that recession. The question, of course, will be how deep is that recession going to be and how much has actually been priced into the market yet? Unfortunately, we really don't know that answer. All right, quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, an interesting thing that's happening in the cryptocurrency market um, uh, that happened yesterday, actually. So we'll talk about that when we come back from the break. Don't go away. Get, get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So yesterday, there was an interesting thing that was going on in you know, the cryptocurrency world, and and you know we've talked about you know cryptocurrency from time to time, and it's a very interesting space, right? Because the the whole fascination with cryptocurrency, of course, is this you know this move away from you know fiat currencies, and you know this cryptocurrency is supposed to be a, a, a a replacement for that ultimately lots of arguments for that we're not going to get into that today but of course you know what's happened of that you know after the initiation of bitcoin and when bitcoin really started to gain some some traction everybody else in the world came out with all kinds of variations of cryptocurrency and you know there's just you know almost virtually every day we see somebody launch a new a new cryptocurrency, and then there's of course the cryptocurrency. Then that was, that led, of course, to cryptocurrency exchanges where you could you know create these. And, and and there's been a lot of money wealth created, you know, through these different ventures. As the people that create these ventures, you know, sell their coins or you know execute the transactions, etc. Well, two of the kind of the two of the the main players is a, a guy named Sam Bankman-Fried, and a, a, which 
He's actually been in, in the news as of late because he was creating and actually acquiring other firms that were having trouble. So he would kind of step in and was acquiring assets and, and really starting to build out his platform and created a lot of wealth for himself. He was worth uh, $24 billion at kind of the peak of the whole cryptocurrency frenzy. Well, yesterday it was interesting because the price of the FTX token, FTT, crashed about 20%. Um, and a battle was starting to rage between FTX and another firm called Binance. And that that argument was escalating yesterday to a great degree. And, and of course, people were coming out saying, get your funds out of FTX, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's going to crash. It's, you know, it's all over. And it was even uh, fun. You know, uh, one of our friends of the show, Jim Bianco, who we've inter interviewed here, he said yesterday, he noted that as Dylan LeClaire notes, FTX acts like an emerging market, market central bank and it's selling its reserves to shore up its bad FTT currency. And th this is where it kind of gets interesting because... While Sam Bankman-Fried kind of denied the initial allegations, he said a competitor, this was his, his quote out yesterday, a competitor is trying to go after us with false rumors. FTX is fine. The assets are fine. X, FTX has, and this is again Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX has enough to cover all of client holdings. We don't invest client assets, even in treasuries. We have been processing all withdrawals and will continue to do so. Okay, so that was yesterday. And this was all kind of... You know, this this fight that was going on but between these two billionaires, uh, FTX and, of course, Binance. And they're, they're kind of the, the current kings of the crypto, so to speak. Binance founder Zhao Xingping uh, and FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, you know, those are the two guys. And this has been kind of an escalation of war uh, between these two kind of main players. And, and it was yesterday becoming much more evident that there was going to be a resolution very shortly, and that happened overnight. Binance's Xingping uh, Zhao, and forgive me if I have completely brutalized his name, appears to have cast the death blow over competitor FTX. This is news headlines this morning. And his billionaire founder, CEO Sam Bankman-Fried, who has now fried basically all of his assets. His net worth is down 94% literally overnight this is gonna be one of those stories where one day the mom's sitting around hey kids did you know your dad used to be a billionaire <laughs> so i'm sure he'll be back and he'll be fine i'm just joking um but this is one of the more stunning losses of net worth in recent history and we've seen this before you know these companies go public and you're worth a billion dollars on paper and then something happens, and all of a sudden you're not worth a billion dollars anymore. And so this is this is why you've always got to take these you know these billionaire stories with a grain of salt. You know, just because the market assigns you a valuation of multiple billions of dollars doesn't mean you've actually got multiple billions of dollars unless you can sell all those all that stock, right? Convert it to cash. This is one thing that that you know Elon Musk has been doing a very good job of is actually selling the stock of Tesla paying taxes on it and realizing some of that financial windfall and turning it into cash because you keep cash. <laughs>
We'll see how much he loses on Twitter, but <laughs> you keep cash. Anyway, uh, back to the story. FTT uh, token has crashed, uh, and finally um, Binance reached out to provide a, to provide a bailout. We'll see what happens. Um, the situation culminated in basically all of crypto crashing yesterday. And this is, this is one of the problems that we've talked about with cryptocurrency. And again, you know, if you're a big fanatic of cryptocurrency, it's nothing wrong with that, right? And, you know, there's a lot of stories out there. It's like, hey, this is going to replace the dollar. It's a safe haven from the dollar. It's, it's all these other things. Well, you've been much better off being invested in the dollar this year. Dollar's done extraordinarily well if you've been invested in the dollar versus cryptocurrency, which hasn't. So the, the whole story that it's a replacement for the currency is, is not really true. The other side of it is, is that, you know, you're not going to have a complete disintegration of the U.S. dollar literally overnight. Now, you're not going to wake up one morning and find out the dollar's worth nothing, right? And that's, that happens with some of these cryptocurrencies. And so this is what keeps it, unfortunately, right now. And, and look, is there a place for digital currencies in the economy and in the marketplace? Absolutely. Solves a lot of problems. Blockchain is, is the underlying reality of all this. Right, that with blockchain, you can get rid of a lot of different intermediaries. Think about the election right now. Right? We had this election yesterday. We had in, in Houston, we had polling centers run out of paper. Arizona had numerous locations where the machines weren't working, you know, this, that, or the other thing, right? Uh, you've got to get out, you know, conversations about mail in ballots, so whether or not they're valid or not because people forgot to sign them, whatever. Blockchain solves all that. We could have an entire secure voting system based on blockchain. If blockchain does what it's supposed to do and, and validates both ends of a transaction, then blockchain would provide a unrivaled voting system in the U.S., to, to cast votes electronically. But that's that's the benefit of blockchain. That's why, you know, for instance, blockchain and real estate, you could get rid of title companies. You wouldn't need title companies anymore. Um, you could bypass banks. Brent and I could do a transaction and validate both ends of a transaction. We wouldn't need a bank involved in the middle, right? So, you know, blockchain provides a tremendous amount of benefit from the ability to validate verified transactions. Right. And that's why there's there. And then, of course, the offshoot of that blockchain technology is all these cryptocurrencies. And is there a place for those? Yes. The problem has been, though, is the stability of prices. It's not the stability. It's not the value of the coin. Right. It's it's uh, and I don't mean value in terms of the price of the coin. I mean, value in terms of its functional structure. Is there, you know, do digital currencies have a place and will they work in, in modern society? Absolutely. And, and we're going to go that way, right? I mean, the move away from hard currency cash in your wallet, even though I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold some for keepsakes. 
just so I can show my great great grandchildren here. Here's what a dollar looked like one time. But, you know, everything will move towards a digital currency. Why? Because, well, governments can track it. Right? If it's digital, they can track it. They'll know right where every dollar is, every cent is. You can control how much currency is in a system. You can issue more currency. You can extract currency. You know a lot you, you, with a fully digital currency. This is why central banks will get here eventually. And there will be central bank currencies. And that will be the only currency, obviously, at some point. When central banks issue their digital currency, every other currency will have to go away because of the simple reason you have to control the flow of currency for national security reasons. That's why you can't print dollars in your basement. So, but we're going to get there. But the problem right now is, and the reason that the adoption of cryptocurrency has been so slow in terms of, you know, operational businesses, et cetera, and we've seen a few companies try this, the problem is the volatility. And we've talked about this before, is that if I'm a, if I'm a manufacturer and I produce a product and I ship it to Brent and Brent pays me with cryptocurrency, you know, I don't know what the value may be when I get it, when I get that currency tomorrow, right? So when it shows up in my account, et cetera, and settles, you know, I might be down 20% and now I've, I've lost money on whatever I'm producing. And so, you know, the, the problem with the volatility is keeping stability. And this is why currencies have to be stable, right? You can, yes, currencies can go up or down in price a little bit on a daily basis. That's, that's fine. They can't be moving 20 or 30 or 40 or 50% in a day, right? It just that type of volatility makes it very difficult to transact business. And that's one thing that impedes the adoption of, of digital currencies right now. And it's something that the central banks will have to provide a fix for. Anyway, interesting story though. How to lose $16 billion in a day. Sam Bankman Freed just showed you how. Be right back after the break. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year? Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. So interesting things as we kind of keep watching, you know, the economic horizon. And that 17% of consumers say that they will spend less this holiday season. 17% they will, the, uh, according to a, a recent survey from Morning Consult, 
17% of Americans believe they will spend less this year. Many are stressed out over gifts and even the Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner. I will tell you, Thanksgiving dinner is expensive this year. Turkeys are not cheap. That's why at our household, we're going beyond turkey. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> we actually are going beyond turkey. We're having brisket this year. Brisket was actually cheaper than turkey. Yeah, baby. So, plus I'm not a big turkey fan anyway. Uh, nothing says the holidays like smoked brisket. I, I agree. Some ribs, a yeah. little bit of sausage, mm -hmm. barbecue sauce. Loving it. Exactly. I don't know, you know, just, you know, just because pilgrims were up north where they had Thanksgiving, if, if, if Plymouth Rock had been in Galveston, Texas, Thanksgiving would be barbecue. They'd have had brisket. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's all we're saying. Um, food and beverages, 24% um, spending less on food and beverages, 26% spending less on celebrations, 32% uh, less on gifts, 34% uh, leading to less overall holiday spending. So, you know, this is this is kind of the you know, interesting outlook of what's happening economically. Inflation, obviously, the big issue. And, and we've talked about before that something happened. Now, we just saw quarter uh, quarter three GDP come in, and it was 2.6%, right? They'll probably get revised up a little bit over the next month or two. But that was a sharp reversal from the negative GDP growth that we had in the second quarter. But something happened in September and October they suggest that that pop in economic growth was probably an anomaly. And, and, and part of this has functionally everything to do with, with inflation. Because, uh, again, consumers can deal with inflation temporarily when they have some savings in the bank. They can use those. Well, those savings are now gone. And then they can continue to offset inflation with debt. And so credit card debt's been ramping up. But that's actually starting to slow now. The rate of increase in credit card debt is slowing, which means that consumers are most likely starting to curtail purchases, which is what we're seeing in that survey. Starting to spend less. But there's other indicators, of course, that we're now starting to see that contraction in the economy, you know, we've talked about here recently um, layoffs and what's been going on with terminations of companies, etc. cetera. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg uh, talked about earlier this week that Meta would be laying off some workers. And they came out and announced uh, last night that they're going to be laying off 11,000 employees. Now, again, we keep seeing these really strong employment reports coming out of the government, despite the fact that we've had numerous companies, Twitter. Now, this is just this month. So this is the percentage of workers laid off this month. Twitter, 50%. Cameo, 25%. Robinhood, 23%. Intel, 20%. Snapchat, 20%. Opendoor, 18%. Stripe, 14%. Lyft, 13%. Shopify, 10%. 11,000 workers at Meta. Apple's on a hiring freeze. Amazon's on a hiring freeze. Now, interestingly enough, all these are technology companies, and these are the companies that were just ramping up employees like crazy following the pandemic shutdown because we were all going into, you know, living our lives online, so to speak. We ordered everything online, did everything online, so these companies were ramping up employees. Now, interestingly enough, right now, 
And, you know, kind of a good piece of news for Houston is that because of the energy complex, we're still hiring employees. We're not seeing in the industrial space, in the manufacturing space, we're not seeing a termination of employees really to any great degree. It's mostly in, in technology-based companies. Healthcare continues to do well. Now, we'll see how long that lasts because, again, as a recession sets in, demand falls. That means less demand for oil, less demand for other industrial services, et cetera. So, you know, we may see a contraction there. But here's the interesting dichotomy of potentially this recession versus the recession that we didn't actually have in 2012 that was actually there. We had a manufacturing recession in 2012, but technology was doing very well. Services spending was doing very well back in 2012, but we had a manufacturing recession, and the but the services sector is large enough that it kept the economy out of a, out of an official economic contraction, even though the manufacturing section was in a, a sector was in a, uh, was in recession. Today we're seeing kind of the opposite. Right now, anyway, we're seeing the technology sector in a recession, but we're seeing the manufacturing and and uh, industrial side keeping the economy going right now. One of the reasons earnings have been doing as well as they have overall is because of the support of the positive earnings growth coming out of energy companies. While the rest of the earnings are negative for most other companies. But it doesn't look as the earnings decline doesn't seem to be as bad because of the support that's coming in from, from uh, energy earnings. Now, What's, what's important about, though, is that we're starting to see the cracks in the foundation of that industrial manufacturing complex. And again, we've talked about that going into next year, these extreme rate hikes from the Fed is going to impact earnings and profit margins, et cetera. We're seeing those early effects now, but a lot of these rate hikes haven't been factored into the economy yet, and the consumer's still been kind of holding in there up to this point, although we're now starting to see those fractures. When we take a look at kind of global trade, FedEx and Danish shipper giant AP Molermarsk uh, have been vocal about emerging signs of a global slowdown. Both of these companies are widely seen as a barometer of economic activity because, again, if you're shipping goods or flying goods, you know, packages, you know, trust me, my wife goes into withdrawals if FedEx shuts down. The latest to warn about weakening economic growth is FedEx CEO uh, Michael Lentz telling an audience at Robert Baer Global Industrial Conference that the company has reduced flights and parked planes to cut costs in response to soft demand for package delivery. Marsk, which is the world's largest shipping company, I remember over the last couple of years in particular, we had all these supply hangups at ports, et cetera. And, and you, you know, if you wanted to rent a container ship, it was costing you the equivalent of three Ferraris a day to rent a container ship because costs were just going through. There was no room on ships to ship stuff. That's changed. The world's largest owner of container ships lowered its outlook for growth in 2022 of global container demand, forecasting a 2023 could be far worse than anticipation. There are even reports that the company is canceling sales. There are plenty of dark clouds on the horizon. This is the company. Plenty of dark clouds on the horizon. 
This weighs on consumer purchasing power, which in turn impacts global transportation and logistics demand. Now, this all follows the fact that the IMF and, and the World Economic Forum, the World Bank Economic Outlook has all had downshifts in expectations for global without. Now, all these, the IMF, the World Bank, they're all still saying, hey, economy is going to slow down, but it's still going to be fine. We're still going to have positive growth in 2023. They're not forecasting a recession. So there's that. But there's a lot of indicators that suggest as we get into next year, all these rate hikes and, and uh, higher costs that are getting fed through from inflation into the consumer is weakening. It is eroding that ability for consumers to make ends meet. In fact, if you take a look at staples versus discretionary, now think about this for a second. I've got to feed my family, right? So staples are the things that we buy every day. Right, that's toilet paper, it's food, it's toothpaste, toothbrushes, etc. Right. Discretionary things are things that we can live without. Right? We like them, we want them, we want to have them, but I can live without them for right now. Those are discretionary purchases. Staples, the, the gap between revenue growth between staples and discretionary is widening out every day because, uh, again, consumers are having to make a decision, what do I buy and what do I not buy? Well, they have to buy staples. I've got to feed my family. Got to have toilet paper, right? Got to have those things. I've got to have those basic lifestyle needs, those staples. I got to buy those. My discretionary purchases, I can delay, and they're starting to delay those more and more. And this is why you're seeing such a big gap now between staples and discretionary stocks in, in particular. But that's that impact of where consumers had a lot of cash because of all those stimmy checks we sent to households. They had a lot of savings. They've now run through all that. They've now run through their credit. And now they're at the point of saying, look, I just literally cannot buy this stuff anymore. We're going to have to postpone trips. We're going to have to postpone doing this. We're going to have to postpone buying that. Just got to make ends meet. That's going to get more insidious as all these rate hikes from the Fed feed through into the economy over the next six, eight, nine months. Be right back after the break. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com the end of the year is fast approaching what will the new year bring join richard rosso danny ratliff and lance roberts for our year-end economic review special event tuesday november 15th how to address higher taxes in the new year should you delay your retirement in 2023 what will the midterm elections mean for markets register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic Review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
So welcome back to the show this morning. Futures right now down about 100 points on the Dow. That's mostly Disney this morning. Uh, S&P and NASDAQ are down slightly this morning. Not not anything huge uh, out of the gate. And, of course, after, you know, kind of a three-day rally here, so to speak, uh, you know, a little bit of a pullback here won't be surprising, kind of the post-midterm election kind of run-up here. Um, you know, we'll see through the day kind of how – this all shapes up. Looks like right now that Republicans will take the House. Uh, the Senate will pretty much remain kind of intact 50-50 with Kamala Harris being a the, the one uh, vote tiebreaker. So the Democrats will remain in control of the House, and that's okay. Uh, that's basically gridlock. You, you can't get much done um, unless you control both houses and the presidency. So, um, you know, this is going to, that should likely play out better for the markets because again republicans can't you know push through they, they don't the, you know the majority they have is going to be razor thin so they can't override a veto uh from the president and the legislation that they try to pass will most likely be knocked down uh in the senate unless um you know we see uh cinema or mansion uh flip votes and and vote with the conservatives on some particular issue that might bode well for you know their states, um, so we'll see how this how this kind of plays out. But most likely, not a lot's going to happen. Uh, good news is is no big increases in taxes, no big spending bills will get done, deficits will you know uh, continue. Interestingly enough, we've got coming up right after the first of the year, we've got a debt ceiling that we're going to have to be dealing with. And again, this is one of those items that we kind of just kick down the road because every time we get to a debt ceiling, it's like, okay, we'll pass a continuing resolution that just provides the funding of our spending plus increase it by 8%. And then we'll deal with the debt ceiling later. And so we just kind of keep kicking the can down the road and we keep raising the debt ceiling with these continuing resolutions, which keeps continuing to increase the spending, which is why we keep getting further and further into debt. But we don't actually ever deal with the whole budget issue. And this is not likely to change, uh, particularly with the House and the Senate split. You know, there's not going to be any type of budget passed by any stretch of the imagination. So the, the best thing that we can probably hope for is that they'll just all fold, raise the debt ceiling, and, and uh, do another continuing resolution, right? Then that's the most likely outcome. It doesn't solve your long-term debt problem by any stretch of the imagination or provide any fiscal sanity to Washington, but that's probably about all they're going to be able to get done that they're going to be able to agree on. The, the problem with that, of course, is that we continue to increase our debt load. And with interest rates now rising, the amount of money that we spend on interest to service the debt is now at a record level. And we keep spending more and more money to service the debt. So remember, as your tax revenue goes in to the government, they have to they spend it in a kind of an order, right? So mandatory spending gets done first, right? That's mandatory. It's got to be paid. And if it can't be paid by revenue, it's paid for by debt. Everything else is non-mandatory spending or discretionary spending. And that's your defense spending, education, all that type of stuff, right? And so that gets paid secondarily, right? Keeping your parks open, right? Remember, every time we have these debt ceiling fights, we go close the parks. We have, we're going to shut down the government. We're going to close the parks, right? That's because that's not that's non-mandatory spending. Got to we got to lay off nine hundred and fifty thousand 
non-essential workers. Why do we have them if they're non-essential, right? We can save a lot of money right there. But anyway, this is, this is how things work. The problem is, is that it requires right now, because of the increase in interest rates, more than 100 cents on the dollar just to cover mandatory spending, which is Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, prescription drug benefits, the Affordable Care Act, and interest on the debt. That's your mandatory spending. So basically, welfare and interest on the debt, that is your mandatory spending. Got to get paid. Veterans benefits. Got to get paid. Everything else has got to come out of debt. But now it requires us actually to issue debt just to pay those mandatory items. We're going further into debt just to do the mandatory spending. That's the problem with higher interest rates and more debt. And the more debt we issue, the higher those interest payments make, and the, higher the, and the longer the interest rates remain high, the bigger drag on the fiscal deficit it is. Now, and this is the interesting thing. You know, we always, uh, we always get these reports from the CBO. And the, CB, the Congressional Budget Office comes out and says, oh, we're going to pass this bill of, you know, a trillion dollars of spending, and it'll pay for itself by, you know, 10 years from now. And it'll lower the deficit. And, then, of course, that never happens. Because the one thing that the CBO never accounts for is higher interest rates. You take a look at their projections, and their projections are always based on, well, this spending, if it does X and creates Y economic growth. And as long as inflation and, interest, uh, inflation and interest rates and there's no recession remain stable, right? As long as everything just good, status quo, we have 2% growth, 2% inflation, 2% interest rates, it's all fine. But as soon as something cracks and you have a recession or you know, surging interest rates, all those projections go right out the window. So all those models that were sold to you that basically spending this trillion dollars on climate change or whatever is going to pay for itself gets eviscerated very quickly as interest rates and inflation go up or you have a recession. This is why back in 2000, this is one of the more, more famous sections, uh, famous CBO outlooks. The CEO predicted, uh, CBO, sorry, not CEO, the CBO in 2000 predicted that the U.S. would be running a trillion-dollar budget surplus by 2010. Instead, we ran a trillion-dollar deficit. So that's a $2 trillion swing from the estimate, right? So not even – it wasn't, like, close to the ballpark. It wasn't in the neighborhood of the ballpark. It was an entirely different country, right, from the ballpark. And that's the problem with all these forecasts. Of course, the CBO also never accounts for, you know, sunset provisions or a variety of other things that happen in Congress on a regular basis that completely throw their projections out the window. But yet we keep accounting, you know, but, but every time we want to pass a bill, well, the CBO says this, and it must be true because the CBO said this. They're never right. They're not even close. I mean... You know, if if these people work for a company, they would have been fired a long time ago because they're never right. They're never even close to right. I mean, they're not even the ballpark of being right ever. But we keep relying on these people as if they know what they're doing. Well, the CBO said it. It must be true. The government says it must be true. So it must be true. But this is the problem why we continue to have, you know, economic issues and now we have inflationary issues. And, and we wrote articles talking about doing these STEMI checks are all fine and dandy. 
but you're going to have a lot of inflation and you're going to have this surge of economic activity that will crash immediately afterwards because that's what's going to happen when this money runs through the system. And everybody's like, I don't understand why we have these problems now. I'm, we told you, right? <laughs> this, this isn't rocket science. You know, it's just basic math. And the fact that the people we elect running government can't figure this out is why we continue to have these problems. And I look, they, they know. I say they can't figure it out. They know exactly what they're doing. And this is all about buying votes and doing those type of things. But again, this is where you want to be, right? This is, you know, these are the things you need to know because these things aren't going to change. And as investors and as consumers, we've got to understand what it is that's happening in Washington and understand what those effects are going to be and then manage our risk accordingly, right? Because those, those things aren't going to change. You know, you, you can elect all different kinds of people into Washington and they, you, the, the outcome is always the same. That doesn't change the behaviors. Again, you know, we could elect an entire conservative platform to all three houses, and we're still not going to have a budget, right? We're still going to do continuing resolutions because that's now the easy way to run government. I just spend money, and I don't have to worry about a budget. I just keep doing continuing resolutions. You have all Democrats. It's going to be the same thing, right? That doesn't change. And so what we have to do as individuals is make sure that we understand what that dynamic is going to be monetarily on our investments, our economics, you know, our households, those type of things, because all we can do is, is all the only thing we can control is the environment in which we live. Right. And so that, that's, you know, as, as we look at these things and talk about these things, this is what's important is, is to bring. Don't worry so much about what's happening on the national platform. Understand how it's going to affect you. Right. And how that's going to impact you know, you're investing and where you save and what you do. And again, it's very easy, you know, again, to get wrapped up in the real dark side of all this stuff. It's like, oh my God, the world's going to collapse and we're all going to wind up living in caves. Yeah, maybe. Right. But if we get to that point, nothing else is going to matter anyway. <laughs> so it's not going to matter how much money you have in the bank or where you're invested. It's not, if you're, if we're all living in caves, not going to matter. So the, the important thing is, is, okay, look, that is what it is. These things are going to happen, but how do I navigate this? And there's always a way to do that, regardless of what policies there are, what taxes are, what, you know, strata there is. We can always navigate around that. There's always a way to manage that risk. We just have to be creative in how we do it. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Um, by tomorrow, we'll kind of know what the shakeout is. Uh, markets this morning set to open flat basically um just down a little bit as we kind of go through this process today of figuring out the midterms once that's over uh could very well see a, a little bit of a pickup in the markets over the next couple of days as we start to wrap up the week uh in the meantime get by the website realinvestmentadvice.com our three minutes on markets and money will be coming up shortly our latest blog post is out on the website as well it's all about whatever your questions are feel free to send them realinvestmentadvice.com see you back here tomorrow